Well, we are coming to the end, not only of our sort of ministry year. Again, ministries will continue through the summer, of course. But it is a little bit more of a restful time of the year, which is a good thing. But we're also coming to the end of our sermon series then on members of one body. What it means to be members of one body, one church family. And ultimately, again, the universal church is the whole worldwide. Um, and one of the things we want to look at here as we come to the end is that the church serves. The church serves. Uh, we seek to be like our Savior. Uh, all that we've said so far about the local church, in some ways, is about serving. Uh, we serve one another by teaching the scriptures, by celebrating the Lord's Supper and baptism, reminding each other of the gospel, uh, by evangelism, uh, by missions. All that is ultimately a way of serving the world as God would have us do. Now, when we think of the word serve or servant, that sounds like a good thing. Uh, and that's really because Jesus has been so successful <laughs> at raising up this idea of servanthood uh, that we now take it for granted as a good thing, which is a pretty amazing idea. We think of a servant as a compliment, a service that you do is a way of helping others, something to be praised. Even the word minister just means servant, and we see a minister as sort of an honorable title. But in actuality, throughout most of history, and really throughout much of the world, to be a servant is an insult. It's to say you are, you are lowly. In fact, many people would say, how, how dare you call me a servant? I am no man's servant. Uh, but that's exactly what the Bible has done, has turned our upside-down world right-side up. And by the way, that's how it views dads. What is a dad's job? A dad's job is to serve his family. To lead, to be strong, to provide, to protect, but to serve all throughout. And friends, FBC Haverhill, our church, is a church that serves. Uh, we praised our, our volunteers. Some of them, we have many, many volunteers here. That's exactly what we should be doing. I had another local pastor this week tell me, I see First Baptist Church of Haverhill as one of the healthiest churches in Haverhill. Which I think is a great compliment. If that is indeed true... Uh, then I would say it's very much partly, maybe even mainly due to this fact that we are a church that is willing to serve, to take our time and talents and treasure, uh, as the, the saying goes, all three of those, our time, our talents and our treasure, and use it to serve the Lord and to serve His church and to serve this world. Look with me at John 13, 1 through 17. John 13, 1 through 17, where Jesus sets this example of servanthood to us and calls us to follow him. John 13, 1 through 17. You'll be up on the screen, or you can grab a Bible if you'd like and read it, uh, or on your phone even as well. 13 says this, Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father... Having loved his own, who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God, and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist, then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. 
He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand, but now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do, just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. We're called to serve others as Jesus served us. We're called to serve others as Jesus served us. Uh, there is an outline in your bulletin if you want to look along, look, uh, see ahead where we're going, if you want to take notes, but we're going to talk about this passage, walk right through it and see this calling to serve. First of all, in verses 1 through 5, Jesus' life. Jesus' life is an example to us of servanthood. His life is an example. Jesus' own life sets the example, and he does so very specifically here with foot washing. Uh, notice before it describes, before the, the gospel writer John describes what Jesus did, there's a lot of prefaces. <laughs> he mentions a lot of things in preface to the fact that Jesus washed the, his disciples' feet. Uh, this is before the Passover. So before he symbolizes his upcoming death, uh, that Jesus knew that the hour had come. All throughout his life and ministry, he would say, the hour has not yet come. The hour has not yet come. And now he knew that the hour has come, meaning the hour for him to give his life for us on the cross. That he knew that he was going to the Father. Uh, that he knew that he loved us and would love us to the end. This is all in preface before he got down and washed his disciples' feet. Well, the devil is at work in Judas, it says. He knows that the devil is already at work in Judas, which as a little bit of a side note, notice that Judas is still there when Jesus washes his disciples' feet. Imagine washing the feet of your enemy, or maybe even worse than just an enemy, your betrayer. It says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things, knowing that he came from God and is soon going back to God, that he is united forever with his Father. All that's preface. Knowing all that. Experiencing all that. Coming to grips with all that's to come. That the hour is here. What does Jesus do? He takes off his outer garments. He takes a towel. Wraps it around his waist. And he takes some water. And washes the dirty, smelly, crusty feet of his disciples. Friends, this, this is what servanthood looks like. What's the point of all that preface? Well, partly this, that Jesus had absolute power, <laughs> complete and absolute power. He knew where he came from. He knew where he was going. He knew he was the eternal son of God, that all authority was his. And what does he do? He gets down as low as you can imagine and serves. 
Imagine, this, this would be like a king who, who cooks a meal for one of his peasants. <laughs> this would be like the CEO of a company who asks the intern if he can get her a cup of coffee. <laughs> this would be like John Henry of the, uh, of the Red Sox saying, can I, can I park your car to one of the ball boys? I mean, this is the extreme opposite of what you might expect. Jesus is one who has absolute power and he uses it to serve. Uh, just to, to show you, this is, this is not normal. This is not normal behavior for our world and in our history. Most of our history is not like this. Uh, when you have power, you use it to rule and to really stomp on those beneath you. You use it to be master, not to be servant. I mentioned uh, that I was at China recently, of course, and one of the things we got to do is stand on the Great Wall of China. And I have a picture of the Great Wall. One of the people in our group took this picture. I thought it was an excellent picture of the Great Wall. Uh, you kind of get a sense of how vast this is. So the Great Wall is 13,000 uh, miles long. 13,000 miles long. Um, it is an incredibly say You never forget the first time you stand on the Great Wall of China. I think that's true. I think I'll ever, ever forget that. It is, it is a, a magnificent. It sits on the top of a mountain, most of it. So it has the best, best views. Um, and it was built 2,200 years ago. Think about that. Before our continent was discovered, <laughs> the Chinese were already building a structure 13,000 miles long. But here's the interesting thing about the Great Wall of China. It was built by an emperor by the name of Qin. And actually his name is where you get China, China. Uh, but Emperor Qin used his power, yes, to build amazing things like the Great Wall, but he was a brutal, brutal dictator. In fact, the most of the Great Wall was built by peasants and by slaves. And of course they had a lot of people doing it. Now, there's one story, it may or may not be legend, but that at one point in building the Great Wall, he ran out of mortar and used the blood and the bodies of 4,000 peasants to finish the job. That's what history normally looks like. And here's Jesus with absolute power, the King of Kings, who gets down low and washes his disciples' feet. On a much smaller scale, <laughs> dads, usually dads, you're the strongest in your home. Uh, you, you're certainly, hopefully, stronger than your little kids. And you can use that power for, for, for one of two things. And you can use that to do great harm, to bully your kids, to mock them, make fun of them, and hurt them. Or you can use it to love them, to serve them, to raise them up to be godly kids. Take that power and use it to serve. Friends, Jesus' whole life was like this. This is just one example. What did he do with his life? He healed. He taught others who needed to understand. Look at Jesus' treatment of those in his society who were most in need. The poor, women, children. And his love and his care for those who are weak in his society. And of course, ultimately, what is Jesus' whole life, what's the center of his whole life... He sacrificed himself for sinners. He died on the cross. As Jesus said, no one takes my life. I lay it down of my own accord. He came as a servant, ultimately to die for our sins. Friends, we're called to be like Jesus. He's the example for us. Uh, when we say our vision as a church is to be a Jesus-centered community, that's what we mean. We, we he keep Him at the center of our ministry and of our church, and we want to be like Him. 
It's one of our core values is service or servanthood. Why? Because Jesus came as a servant, friends. What you watch, what you take in, what you spend your time looking at, fixing your eyes upon, whether your physical eyes or in a sense your spiritual eyes, you will begin to be like. (laughs) You will begin to follow their examples. If you are a huge fan of of a particular TV show, whatever that TV show may be, and you love a certain character or a certain set of characters on that show, the likelihood is you're going to start saying things like the character in that show. You might even start acting a little bit like the character in that show. Whatever you sort of fix your eyes upon, whatever you sort of look at most of your time, you will begin to model. Well, we fix our eyes on Jesus, the King, who comes to serve. Now, Jesus is more than an example. We're going to look at that in just a little bit. He is more than just an example for us of how to live, but he is never less than that. Yes, he's uniquely sinless, and he is uniquely the substitute for sinners, and he's uniquely divine, but his life shows us what perfect humanity looks like. Taking power and strength and using it to serve and to help others. Again, he turns our upside-down world right side up. Jesus' life is an example to us of servanthood. 6 through 11, servanthood is at the heart of the gospel. (laughs) Servanthood is at the heart of the good news, of the central message. We talked a lot about this in our whole series here on members of one body, that the heart of our church is, our heart of the church is the message of Christ's death and resurrection for us. Well, his actions here actually reveal the gospel. Look with me at what his conversation here is kind of interesting conversation with Peter. And uh, if you're sort of a bombastic personality, you know, you don't know, your, your, you get your, your mouth gets you into trouble a lot, and uh, you'll like Peter, because that's Peter. Typical Peter at work here, quick to speak, a little over the top. You know, he's the one who jumps in the water and starts swimming from the boat before, when, as soon as he hears that Jesus is coming and makes these claims that he could never fulfill. Well, that's what you get right here. That's Peter right here. So it's, everyone else is assuming is quiet. Jesus washes their feet and they sit there quietly and listen and try to take in the moment. What does Peter do? He argues with Jesus. I mean, he's the only one of the disciples who would actually have a little argument with Jesus. He says, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? That's not so bad. Okay, that's that's probably what's going through a lot of the disciples' mind. Lord, what are you doing? You're you're the master. You're you're getting down on your hands and knees and, and washing our feet. So, Not bad. And Jesus gives him a a, a reasonable response. He says, you don't understand. You don't understand right now, but you'll get it later, what I'm doing. And then Peter does what Peter does. He says, never, Lord. You can't wash my feet. I will never, ever, ever let you do this. Uh, You will never be able to get down and wash my feet. And Jesus says to him, well, if I don't wash your feet, if you don't let me wash you, then you can have no part with me. You have no share with me. So what does Peter do? He goes the other direction. Well, Lord, then don't just wash my feet. You gotta wash my hands and my head. You gotta give me a whole bath right now. That's, a, that's Peter for you. Instead of just quietly listening and figuring out what's going on, he's over the top. And Jesus' response is if your feet, uh, if you've already been bathed, then only your feet need to be cleaned. We'll get to what that's all about in just a bit. And then he also says, but not all are clean, showing that he's talking here about more than just water, more than just washing their feet. There's something deeper. Symbolically at work here. He's talking, of course, about Judas. But let's look closely. What is this all about? What's this conversation with Peter all about? Um, 
It's later. He said, you don't understand now, but you'll understand later. Well, it's later. It's after the cross. It's after the resurrection. It's after God's people have received the Holy Spirit. So we should have a good grasp of what was going on in that conversation with Peter. Uh, first of all, why, why is it absolutely necessary to be clean? What is Jesus getting at there? Of course, the idea is that we humbly need to look to Christ to be clean from our sin. Our our pride gets in our way. I can do this myself. I can clean my own sin. I can fix my own life. You know, I can can pull myself up and and do good and save myself in a sense. Uh, Like a kid, like a teenager who says, Dad, I don't need your help. (laughs) I can do this myself until you finally realize you do need your dad's help, right? We're the same way when it comes to God. I, I don't need Jesus. I don't need a savior. That's, for, that's a crutch for, for religious people. I'm all set by myself. What in the heart of the gospel is we have to be served because we can't do it ourselves. Now what about this feet idea though? That may have been the most confusing. Uh, if somebody has got a bath, uh, then all they need to do is wash their feet. Uh, most would interpret this, most commentators interpret this, uh, that once you have had a bath, meaning once you have been saved through Christ, you're, you're clean in Him, but you still sin. <laughs> so you still continue to live in this fallen and sinful world, and in doing so, your feet gain dirt and dust. In other words, you, you still deal with sin in this world, so what do you do? You confess it before God, you repent and turn from it, you trust in God, again, for grace. Judas here is an example of the fact that not everyone who is part of a church, not everyone who claims to follow Jesus, actually belongs to him. Only those who are truly saved. No sacrament or ceremony or good deed can save us. D.A. Carson writes this, Doubtless when Jesus washed the disciples' feet, he included the feet of Judas Iscariot. If this proves anything beyond the unfathomable love and forbearance of the Master, it is that no right... Even if performed by Jesus himself, ensures spiritual cleansing. Real cleansing is effected through Jesus' revelatory word and through the atoning sacrifice to which the foot washing pointed. We're not saved by any ritual, by belonging to any church or any group, only by faith in Christ. There's a lot of application here, a lot. Let's just camp out on a few things here. First, understand that the heart of the Christian faith is God's service to us. That's what it means to be a Christian, not what you are doing, but first and foremost, what God has done for us. Friends, this is one of the things that makes the, our faith in Christ unique, unique among all the religions uh, of this world. And I spent some time in places where, where people do worship in various other religions, and, and every religion I've seen, and I've read about or heard about, is ultimately what you need to do. Now, here's the list of rites. Here's the list of, of ceremonies and rituals that are necessary for you. Uh, uh, Confucianism. Spent a lot of time. Went to a Confucian temple while in, in China learning about Confu- Confucianism. Uh, Buddhism. Uh, it's very similar. Taoism. Uh, those are sort of the three main religions there in, historically in China and certainly in India and Nepal looking at Hinduism as well. It's, it's ultimately about here are the set of rules here are the things you need to do to reach upward to God, or if not to a God, then at least to some sort of nirvana, some type of peace, uh, tranquility, or salvation. The gospel goes the other direction. Here, 
Christian, is what God has done for you. He broke through history into your world. He came lowly as a servant. And he died your death and rose in triumph over the grave for you. And our response primarily is one of faith, of trust, of recognition of what God has done for us. Friends, I hope that's true of you. Have you come to realize that Jesus is your only hope? He is the Savior, and we cannot be made clean by anything we do or anyone else does for us other than God through His Son, Jesus. No ritual or good deed will earn our way to God. Also, though, uh, when you do sin, when, when you do get your feet dirty living in this world, what do you do? You go to God through Jesus. You confess it before Him. Any known sin in your mind, confess it before Him. Turn away from it and grow and mature through it. Uh, don't let sin drag you down. Uh, I've seen that happen again and again in the lives of, of Christians, brothers and sisters, where they allow guilt to just drag them down. What they're doing is, is allowing not only sin to drag them down, but now the guilt of sin to drag them down even further. <laughs> Instead of just recognizing, yes, we're sinners, confess that before God, turn around and keep moving forward. And so I think it's the, one of the devil's tools is to take our sin and give it a second life by allowing it to tear us down and having us wallow in it instead of immediately just bringing it to God for repentance and moving it forward. If you're in Christ, you've had a bath. Your feet get dirty. Keep going forward. Friends, Jesus commands us to serve, 12 to 17. He commands us to serve and blesses us when we do. Look with me at verses 12 to 17. After Jesus finishes washing his disciples' feet, he commands us. <laughs> he gives us a command to follow his example. He says to them, do you understand what I have done? Uh, I love what he says here. Uh, uh, you call me teacher. You call me Lord. And that's right. <laughs> For so I am. So Jesus isn't saying, I'm not a teacher. I'm not a Lord. I'm not a man. No, he's saying, I really am the teacher and the Lord. You got that right. But look what I've done with that authority. Look what I've done with that power. Look what I've done with it. I've used it to serve. I still got down, dirt, down on my knees, hands and knees, grabbed a towel and served you. It's an example to us of servanthood that we're called to follow. Jesus actually tells us to do as he has done. He ends by saying, in this, sec this section, by saying, a servant is not greater than his master, a messenger than the one who's sent him. Uh, if they're servants, they're not greater than Jesus, of course. If they're the ones being sent, they're not greater than the one who's sent them. And nevertheless, he still serves. Jesus, the one who sends. Jesus, the one who is master, serves. So how can we ever say a job is too far beneath us? If we're serving the Lord, then we're called to serve even lower than the one who sends us, the one who is master. And he says here that blessed are those who do. Blessed means to have God's favor, his happiness, his smile over our lives. When we serve, friends, we have God's blessing, both directly in the very act of serving. <laughs> those who have spent time serving, you know that it's actually a blessing to serve someone else, to help someone else. But I think indirectly, as God sees what we do, and it's pleasing to his heart as a father, how do we obey this command? How do we obey this command? I think we, we take the posture of a servant. We hold the towel. I brought a towel up here. 
just to, to show this is our posture as Christians. <laughs> how can I serve you? That should be our mentality. Not how can you serve me, not what can I get out of you, but how am I to serve you? Uh, is the idea that we just wash each other's feet? I don't think that's the idea. Might be a good idea from time to time. A good reminder of the very thing that Jesus is talking about. I know that there are some foot washing ceremonies in certain traditions. And sometimes in a, a wedding. I've never done a wedding where this happened. But I've heard well, you'll have the bride and groom wash each other's feet. And again, it's a powerful symbol of what Jesus is talking about here. The calling to put on the towel and to serve. But understand, it's not a sacrament. It's not something that we're commanded to repeat as if there's some blessing in the very act of doing foot washing. It's not about repeating this actual thing. Uh, Baptism and the Lord's Supper, we talked about that. Those are the two sacraments that God has given the church to remind us of the gospel. This isn't one of them, as far as I understand. But again, it's a powerful symbol. But understand, in Jesus' time, it was an actual act of service. Uh, You wore sandals, and it's dirty there. There's not a lot of water in Israel. You get dust all over your feet and blisters and corns and all these other different things. And to get down and to wash someone's feet is to actually help them with something that is needed. I think that's the point. That we find ways to help. We find ways to assist. We find ways to genuinely serve other people. Think about that. How can I serve you? It takes empathy. Putting yourself in somebody else's shoes. What are they going through and what would they need? What would I need if I was them in this situation right now? It takes listening. (laughs) Genuinely taking time to listen to where someone's at and how you can help them. I'm thankful for the ways that our church has done this. And that's one of the things we celebrate today. uh, That you have taken seriously the calling to serve. You serve the kids. Kid Town Ministry and Nursery. City Life Youth Ministry, which, by the way, is led by volunteers, our youth ministry. Kina is on staff, but she actually does youth ministry not on the clock. It's her service to our teenagers as well as Adam and her husband, Mitch, who teaches from time to time as well. Thankful for those who take their time and their energy and serve our kids. Those who are serving on committees and teams and boards. Whether we had the opportunity to recognize you today or not, thank you. You're using your gifts to strengthen the body. That's a service. Those who are serving in in one of our ministries, those who are serving at an open hearts ministry, every week we have a meal we serve the community with. Those who go to the nursing home and lead a service. Those who are cooking and cleaning and organizing and caring for those in need. Your generosity is a way of serving. When you give up what you could keep for yourself, you know, this is a, a little mini vacation I could have, or this is a, an extra meal at a restaurant I could take, but instead I'm going to give that. I'm going to give that to serve in some way. I'm going to give that to, to strengthen the ministries of this church or make sure one of our missionaries has a vehicle or whatever it may be. That's your way of serving. When you're taking seriously the calling to tithe regularly, that's a service. That's how the kingdom goes forward. It's God's plan is that God's people resource God's work so that his message would spread to the ends of the earth. And evangelism itself is a form of service. It's you saying, I'm willing to be uncomfortable, <laughs> step out of my comfort zone, and enter into another person's uh, 
That we ourselves need to be served, to be saved by God. And that we are explicitly called by Jesus to serve one another. Let's keep serving. Let's keep helping. Let's keep assisting people. With Jesus at the center. Our vision focused on Him. And dads, keep serving your family. Keep serving your kids. No matter what age they are. Keep being a dad. Take a break from serving. Uh, it's summer. As I said, a lot of our ministries go into a little bit of a, a restful time. Dads, you don't get the summer off. Sorry. You get one day. Dad, Father's Day. Okay, that's it. But after that, back to work as dad. Be ready to go again. Friends, what, what is still seen in much of the world is a lowly insult to be a servant. For us is the most kingly work we do. Pray with me. Well, our gracious God, we are so grateful to you. Once again, you have sent your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, into our world who came as a servant. The one who truly had absolute power. (laughs) The one who knew where he came from and knew where he was going back to. The one who knew that all authority in heaven and earth was given to him. And that your son, the Lord Jesus, used it not only to wash the feet of his disciples, but to die our death. Thank you, Lord. May we follow your example. Serve one another as we await the day when we will be with you again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.